You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Well, let's pray and let's get started. Y'all ready? Yes. Yes. All right. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much again for this opportunity to gather with with our friends and family, Lord, for uh, Bible study, to look to your word, Father, to receive from you tonight, to be taught. And we thank you, Father, that the word is alive and it's truth and it's full of your life. And Father, we believe to receive from it tonight. We thank you once again for the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that he is our teacher and that he brings life and revelation to us. And we expect to receive from him tonight. And we thank you for it. Father, I believe that in Jesus' name, that by the time we get through tonight, our lives are going to be better because of you and because of your word and the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for it and we give you praise for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, turn in your Bibles with me, everybody, to Matthew chapter six, and um, we're gonna we're still continuing talking about tactics for winning, and um, <clears throat> this is week number five in this series, and um, I'm gonna talk about something tonight that I've talked about a lot, uh, but it I, I you know I I believe I specifically heard from the Holy Spirit to talk about it again because apparently. Uh, I'm not the only one that has to deal with this. I believe we all deal with it in a degree, or, and that is how to win over worry. Uh, we're going to talk about how to overcome worry, and uh, we're going to go as far as we can in this tonight, and if we have to continue this part next week, we will. But uh, as, you, as I asked you, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. And uh, this is a portion of what is called or known as the Sermon on the Mount. This is a sermon that Jesus preached. And um, in the middle, he covered a wide array of subjects. And by the way, let me just give you a little background. When he first started the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking specifically to his disciples. And as often happened, uh, as he was ministering and teaching his disciples, people found out where he was, and so the crowds began to gather. So what you'll see in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus starts out speaking specific things to his disciples, teaching them about ministry and how to conduct themselves, ministering to other people, and and, and so forth. But then you can, if you pay close attention to it, as you look in chapter six, and it starts in the latter part of chapter five, but then chapter six and chapter seven, you'll see where the tone of his message changes, and it becomes more broad and more general, and that's just simply because of the the other people outside of his disciples that had come up, and one thing that Jesus was skilled at is he knew his audience. You know, one time, a lot of times, you know, if, uh, if, if I have you know, missed it or, or said some missteps in sermons in the past. It was, you know, probably because I didn't rightly read the audience. And so in the sense of knowing who was there and how to adjust things. And so Jesus didn't compromise anything that he said, but he was skilled at adjusting what he said so that it reached as many people as he possibly could. And so all that being said, let's jump into the middle of this sermon and look at verse 25, and I'm going to read it from the New King James, and I'm going to interject a couple of things that the Old King James says, but verse 25 says this, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Now, we could put a period right there, close our Bibles and pray and be done, and if we could just live by that one sentence alone, we will have accomplished a lot, but we're going to go deeper into it. Now, in the New King James, it says, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. In the Old King James, and this actually is a very good translation, Jesus said this, take no thought for your life. 
And so we're going to talk about that in just a moment, but let's read the rest of this. Therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? In other words, how, which of you, by worrying, can add anything to your life? And the answer, of course, is nobody. Verse 28, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows what you uh, knows that you need all these things, but seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, so let's get into this again. Jesus said in the the Old King James, therefore take no thought. Uh, and what this tells us is this, and this is a very, very important thing that you need to, to grasp and understand, and that is thoughts are going to come. Thoughts are going to come, but you and I have a choice as to whether we take those thoughts or not. In other words, you know, there's a misbelief, I think, in, in, in and among Christians that you know, we have no control over our minds. We don't, you know, we can't dictate and control what we think about and what we dwell on. And the Bible teaches exactly the opposite of that. So you have a choice. You and I have a choice as to what we think about and what we dwell on. And so worry then, if, if Jesus said, take no thought for your life and take no thought worrying, then worry is when we accept thoughts. It's when we accept those thoughts that come across our minds. You know, I've, I've said this before, but I remember Brother Hagin saying a long time ago that, uh, you know, you, you, you cannot stop a bird from flying over your head, but you can stop it from building a nest in your hair. And his, in, in saying that, what he was saying is, is thoughts are going to come. You know, thoughts are generated by our own patterns of thinking, thoughts are generated by circumstances, thoughts are uh, generated by conversations and what, you know, our interactions with other people, all of those things play a part in what we think about. But you and I are the determining factor in what we dwell on in our thinking and whether we take hold of or accept certain thoughts. So you cannot stop worry from coming, but you just choose not to accept it, okay? So thoughts of doubt, worry, and fear are going to come. You just don't receive them, okay? Now, worrying or wrong thoughts coming at you is no more a sin than being tempted to sin is a sin, okay? And, and I want you to get that. You know, being tempted to sin is not a sin, the devil would like you to think that it is. Just because you're tempted to do something does not mean you're guilty of that sin. If you give in to the temptation, then of course you are. But just like we're tempted to sin, we have an opportunity to pass that up and choose not to do it. Well, the same thing is true about worry. Now, uh, look at it this way. If the Amazon driver shows up at your door and has a package for you that you did not order, what are you going to do? You're going to refuse that package. You're going to not receive it. You're not going to sign for it. And the same thing is true with thoughts and the, the way that the devil introduces those things into our lives. So when the devil or whoever shows up with wrong thoughts, thoughts that are uh, full of worry and fear, make the decision that you're going to reject and refuse those before they have a chance to be delivered. Okay. So I want you to go back and let's look at 
what Jesus said here in uh, look at verse 26. He said, look at the birds of the air, uh, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then in verse 28, he said, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And what Jesus is telling us is if God can take care of something that has a very, very brief lifespan as far as that plant life or the animal life, uh, he certainly can take care of you and me. And, uh, you know, think about this. Jesus didn't die for birds. Jesus didn't die for plants, but he died for you and for me. So surely we're worth much more to God than the plants. And, you know, <laughs> I know there's some tree huggers that would probably disagree with that. But, uh, and if you're a tree hugger, I'm sorry if I offended you in that. But anyway, you are much more valuable to God than any bird, than any uh, flower, than anything else in creation. And he desires to take care of you, and he paid a great price for you. So I, and I want you to think about this for just a moment. Based on what Jesus said here, for you and me to accept thoughts of worry and to actually worry, we're lowering ourselves below a plant or a bird. In other words, you know, we're lowering ourselves below what Jesus said that God will take care of. And so, you know, think about that. Now, in verse 32, Jesus said, for after all these things, the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. The Amplified Bible says, for the Gentiles wish for and crave and diligently seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows well that you need them all. What is Jesus saying in, in this particular verse here? I, I want to maybe draw a parallel to you. I don't know if you've ever experienced uh, debt freedom, not having any debt whatsoever, not having any credit card bills or you know loan payments, car payments, that type of thing. But uh, you know what the Lord is telling us is this: Imagine if you did not have to think about any of the necessities of life, such as clothing, food, what could you spend your time thinking about? And the reason I talked about uh, being out of debt is that's a good natural comparison is that if you're not thinking about bills that you have to pay, imagine what you can actually think about. You know, and if you're not having to think about uh, the basic necessities of life, because you know God takes care of you, what could you spend your time thinking about? You could be spending a lot more time thinking about doing the will of God, serving other people, fulfilling God's will, plan, and purpose for your life. And so you can see what a thief worry actually is in that it robs us of being able to dwell on what's actually important. Worry gets you to stop and think about the things that God wants to, to take care of himself. In other words, and we'll talk more about this later on, uh, you know, that you elevate yourself to his position. But have you ever noticed that you don't worry about the things that you know are already taken care of? You know, if you know something's, you've already, like if you got your to-do list and you've gone through your to-do list and, and you've checked everything else, you know, or checked everything off of your to-do list, you don't worry about that to-do list anymore. Why? Because you know that it's all handled and it's all taken care of. Well, if we truly believe that God is our source and God will take care of us and that he thinks of us more highly than the birds and the, the plants and how he cares for them, then, uh, you know, really we would, we would know that all those things are handled and, and it would just free us up in a lot of what we spend time thinking about. So, I want to say this to you, and I'm not trying to be hard when I say it, but it's the truth nonetheless. If Jesus said don't do something 
and we do it anyway, it's a, it's sin. a sin. Okay. We, you know, listen, just like Jesus said, don't commit adultery. If we go out and commit adultery, it's sin. So, you know, sin is sin, y'all. So if Jesus said, don't worry, and we worry, then we're getting over into sin. All right. Now, I know that's a tough saying, but it's the truth. And we have to look at worry in that light. You know, so here's what we do. We play little games where we say, well, I'm not worried. I'm just concerned. No, you're you're worried. You're just labeling it something else. Okay. So, you know, let's just be honest with ourselves. And so, and actually some translations of the Bible in, in verses that talk about worry, it, it spells out and says concerns. So anyway, so don't flower it up and think that you're, you're getting by. Okay. Go over with me to Mark the 11th chapter, please. Mark the 11th chapter. I want to just show you something very quickly as we move through this. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23. Mark chapter 11 and verse 23, tying it in to what Jesus said about taking thoughts. Uh, the Lord said this, for, for assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Now, what's interesting about this word doubt in the Greek language is it's not in the, the causative sense, but it's in the passive sense, meaning that the person is the recipient of the action, not the cause of the action. In other words, doubt is going to come. Thoughts of doubt are going to come to all of us, but, and this verse could rather be better translated, uh, for surely I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, but be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not receive doubt in his heart, okay? So just in the same way that you can reject those thoughts of worry, you can reject those thoughts of doubt and fear, okay? So, that's all my introduction. Let's let's start getting into some of the meat of this, all right? Uh, very quickly, because a lot of this is review for us, but over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23, and, uh, you know, I, I heard it all throughout Bible school, and I hear it occasionally now, but, um, you know, I cannot hesitate teaching the same things over and over and over again, because how many of you know we don't get it? when we hear it one time or two times, all right? So if you've heard this before, uh, just say, okay, I, I'm, uh, I receive it, and, uh, you know, because that's the way I have to deal with it when I'm preparing it, <laughs> all right? First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23 says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Uh, the old King James says holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason I read that scripture, and there are other scriptures that confirm this, uh, if you want to just make a note, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, where it talks about the word of God is alive and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joints and merit. So in both of those verses, we see the three parts of man. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your spirit is the part of you that makes contact with God. Your spirit is the part of you that uh, gets in contact or, or interacts with the realm in which God lives. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And then your body, of course, is what we live in while we're here in the earth. And... Um, so it's very, very important that you understand that you are three parts. One way I like to uh, talk about the soul is, you know, again, it's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Uh, I heard somebody say this a long time ago, and it's your soul is made up of your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. Okay, your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. Now, when you made the decision to get born again, to receive Christ as your Savior, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that we were made a new creation in Christ. Well, you know, it doesn't take, you know, you don't have to be very sharp to figure out 
that the part of you that was changed when you received Jesus as your Savior was not your physical body, and it was not your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Or, or Paul would have never told us we, uh, that we have to renew our minds. The part of us that was made new is our spirit beings. Now, you know, I don't fully understand this. Maybe when we get to heaven, God can, will explain it in a in a, a deeper way. But somehow or another, the the part of us that was dead spiritually, the moment you receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, God removed that old dead spirit out of you and breathed into you a brand new spirit that was born of the life of God. And the scripture tells us that that again, if you are a new creation, the Bible tells us that it's your born again spirit is the part of you where God lives. First John chapter four says that whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. So God doesn't dwell in your head. God doesn't dwell in your body. God by the Holy Spirit dwells in your recreated spirit. Okay, so somebody might say, well, why are you emphasizing that? Because it's very, very important. Now, go over with me to the book of Proverbs, please. Um, I'm purposely moving a little quick through this. So, if, you know, if you need me to pump the brakes, let me know. But Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27. So this, the born-again spirit, your spirit, as a born-again Christian, is where God lives by the Holy Spirit. He inhabits you. The Bible says, you know, Paul said that we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, the temples of, of God in the sense of the presence of God lives and dwells on the inside of us. And so that's the first thing you need to grasp is that God is in me. Now, I'm not God, but God lives in me, okay? So if I need to contact God, then I don't need to look out here somewhere. I need to look at where he is in my spirit by the Holy Spirit, okay? So Proverbs chapter 20 and verse 27 uh, says this in the New King James. It says, the spirit of man is the lamp of the Lord searching all the inward depths of his heart. So if light, which is what uh, the lamp is, a lamp is a source of light. So light that we need, light that we live our lives by, is not going to come out here in the natural. It's going to come by the Holy Spirit in your spirit. That's where revelation comes. That's when we have those moments when we're studying the word or we're reading scriptures and all of a sudden the light comes on, so to speak, and uh, that revelation hits us and we go, wow, that's good. That didn't happen up here first. It happened here first. And then illumination, light came up out of your spirit and illuminated your thinking, but revelation, light from the Holy Spirit comes in your spirit where he dwells, okay? So uh, let me say it this way. A lot of believers live their lives governed by, led by, and um, just really living by what they see and experience on the outside in the natural instead of being governed by and living by and looking for direction from the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. Well, somebody says, well, can't he use external things to lead and guide us? Well, yes, but not primarily. He's going to deal with you in your spirit first, and he might use some external things to confirm that, but he will. the born-again believer will never primarily be led by the outside first. It'll happen in here. Now, in the Old Testament, they didn't have God living in them. They didn't have the Holy Spirit living in them because they weren't born again. So they had to depend on 
outside things to lead and guide and bring revelation and insight. That's why God would raise up the Old Testament prophets. That's why he would minister to them the way that he did through dramatic signs and wonders and miracles, okay? Not that God doesn't do that now, but for the born-again believer, the way God's going to speak to you, the way that God's going to minister to you is going to be in your recreated human spirit, okay? And there's a reason that I'm emphasizing that, okay? So write this statement down. The spirit of man, and I'll repeat this, but the spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. The spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. In other words, it's he's going to reveal those things into your spirit. It is the place where he reveals his solutions to us. So again, the spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. It is the place where he reveals his solutions to us. Okay? One more time, the spirit of man is the place from which answers from the Lord come. That's where he reveals them. It is the place where he reveals his solutions to us. Now, pause that for just one second, and let's talk about your mind. Your mind is a wonderful thing. It is a a powerful tool that the the Lord gave us in creation. And I'm talking about uh, the part of you that's not necessarily the organ called your brain, but I'm talking about your mind. Not to get off on a rabbit trail, but your mind and your brain are two different things. Um, Because we have record in, in the Gospels where people died and were buried So therefore, the organ of their brain was in the ground, but yet they still had thoughts. So their mind, your mind and your spirit are somewhat connected, okay? The reason I'm saying that is, is don't think human brain when I'm talking to you about your mind, all right? But your mind is a wonderful thing, and your mind from early on in your life begins to record record and make memories, of things and experiences that you've had throughout your life. But here's the here's the thing about your mind that you've got to remember. It can only recall what has been put into it. Uh, I think it, when if you'll reflect back, some of us are a little older and, and our school days were a long time ago. Me, it was I just graduated a few years ago, but um, you know, but anyway. You know, so if you think about when you were taking a test and, you know, we all had those tests that we showed up for and we knew good and well we had not studied for. Well, you know, so what did you do? You hoped for multiple choice because at least you had a certain percentage that you could get right or true and false. You knew it was going to be 50-50. But here's the thing. My point is this. In that moment, your mind could not recall what you had not stored in it. In other words, it could not recall what you had not studied. And I don't care how much you tried, how much you sweated, you know, if you had not studied and and stored that information into your thinking, then you weren't going to do well on that test. Okay. So your mind is limited. Your mind can only recall what has been put into it. Well, In life, how many of you know we encounter situations that are new? In life, we encounter needs that are new. Uh, Some of them aren't, but, you know, a lot of what we encounter are new situations, new environments, new circumstances, things that we encounter, okay? And um, the unfortunate thing is when you need an answer, to solve a problem in your life, if your mind has never seen that answer before, it has nothing to recall, all right? And here's what worry is, all right? And I I want you to get this and write this down, please, because this will help you identify where it starts, okay? 
Worry is this. Worry is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. Worry is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. Let me say Pastor it to you, you one, more it one more time. Yes, Pastor ma'am. Bray. Worry. Okay. Yes. Sorry. Worry is the direct result of a fruitless search for life's answers out of your human mind. So in other words, if there's an answer that you need to address something in your life, it might be a a financial need, it might be a family situation, no matter what it might be, if, if there is an answer that you need and your mind has never known that answer, then you will never be able to recall or get that answer from your mind. There are just some things that your mind does not have. Okay. So think about this. And I'm just going to talk about me for just a moment. When I have been or gotten caught up in worry, here's what the thoughts sound like. What am I going to do in this? How am I going to meet this situation? How am I going to pay that bill? How or what do I need to do? What am I going to do in this particular thing to fix this problem? Okay. Now, here's what happens. Worry is when you go over and over and over and over and analyze and analyze and analyze trying to find a solution that is not in your mind. Okay. And there are going to be just some things that you encounter in life that um, without the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to get a solution. Okay. And here, so here's what we do. Uh, you know, if we get tired of tired enough of worrying, so we will quit worrying and then we'll just try and figure it out ourselves and do it, try and solve the problem ourselves and make it worse. I don't know about you, but I've done that. Okay. Guilty. All right. Where I have tried to solve situations on my own, and and just made the mess, you know, like somebody said, made it worser than it was before. Okay. Now, so if the answer that I need is not stored here, then guess who has the answer? The Holy Spirit does. You know, I it it took me a little while, but I finally got the revelation. He's smarter than I am. God is a whole lot smarter than any of us, okay? He knows everything, all right? Now, let me, let me say this to you. He has a million ways to solve your problem. All you need is one, okay? God has a, a million ways how he can meet your need. All you need is one. God has a million ways that he could help you solve a problem. You know, it might be a project at work that's just not going well. And, you know, it, 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 you need some, some creativity or you need to solve a situation. You know, when we just all we do is we just constantly go over it and over and over it. Let me tell you this. When you worry and you keep going over the problem in your mind because you're looking for the answer, in the wrong place, all you do is cause yourself more anxiety, more frustration, and do yourself more harm. Okay, so look over. Look over. You're there in Proverbs. Uh, go back up a few pages to Proverbs 16 and verse one. Proverbs 16, verse one. Um, I'm gonna read it from the New King James, and then I'm gonna read it from the New Living. So. The, the New King James says this, the preparations, and that word should be translated plans. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. 
The New Living says we can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. Okay, so the answer that you and I need must come from him. The answer, the best answer, the best solution for every problem that you and I face is going to come from the Lord. All right. Now, if you face a new problem, you face a new situation, you face that need, uh, the answer that you need is going to have to come from him. And again, when you're searching for the answer in your mind by going over and over and over the problem to look for the solution, you only cause yourself more trouble, more worry, and more anxiety, okay? Let me, let me tell you how it plays out also. Your imagination kicks in with this, okay? Let's say, maybe you've never done this before, but I have, uh, you know, you know you need to have a an uncomfortable conversation with somebody. Okay. And you know, you know, there's a potential for conflict there. Mm -hmm. Well, if you worry about that and you start going over and over and over that scenario in your mind, what you begin to do is you begin to actually imagine how that conversation is going to go. It, it happens kind of like this, you know, and, and it, it plays out in your thinking before you even realize it. You know, if if I confront them and I say X, Y, Z, I bet you they're going to respond this way. And if they respond this way, then I'm going to come back with this right here. And if they come back to that and they say this over here, then I'm going to come back with this right here. And before you realize it, you have imagined the whole scenario playing out before you've even gotten to the place physically where you have to have the conversation. And here's what will happen, whether you realize it or not. When we do that and we imagine things playing out in that way, I believe we can actually orchestrate it going that way without even realizing it and cause it to blow up. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, maybe it's a, a need, uh, a financial need or something along that line that you faced. And, uh, you know, your imagination gets involved and begins to you know, cooperate with that worry and you see all the different scenarios that can play out. And so if this happens and then this is what I'll do, or if this happens, then this is what I'll do. And see, we, that's what we do. We go over and over it and over it. We built all these uh, pictures and imaginations. And before we realize it in our thinking, we've already got the scenario already played out before we've even given God an opportunity to have any input into the situation. So let me show you. Go over with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Now let me tell you something. Um, I, can, I can authoritatively teach on this because I have struggled with worry. Okay, I have dealt with it. And, you know, listen, this is something that uh, I still deal with in the sense of I have to catch myself. All right. I'm, I, and, and what I'm endeavoring to do is show you what the Lord has shown me so you can <laughs> stop it in your life. All right. First Peter chapter one and verse 13. Uh, I'm going to read it from the New King James and then I'll read it again from the New Living. The New King James says this. First Peter chapter one and verse 13. Therefore. Gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and rest your hope fully upon the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, I want to stop. Let me let me just hit on what the New King James says. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. You know, when the scripture talks about the loins, it's referring to the creative ability of someone. And so what Paul is telling us here is is to think about how creative and the input your mind can have into a situation. And he said, gird that up, get a hold of it, take control of it. The New Living says this, so think clearly and exercise self-control. 
Look forward to the gracious salvation that will come to you when Jesus Christ is revealed to the world. So again, the first part of that is think clearly and exercise self-control. So you and I have the option as to whether we think clearly or not, whether we exercise self-control or not. Now, worry can become a habit. If it's not already, it can become a habit for you, and uh, you have to break it. It, it, you know, it can become as bad and powerful in your life as someone who's, uh, you know, maybe uh, addicted to, you know, some type of, whether it's, you know, maybe nicotine or something along that line, it can become that habitual to you, and it has to be broken, but it can be broken supernaturally, okay? And I'll show you how to do that. Now, chasing after all these thoughts, just following these rabbit trails that worry tries to take you down is where confusion comes from. You know, confusion, really, the the definition of confusion is this, a lack of clarity or distinction. It's perplexity or bewilderment. Confusion is a lack of clarity or distinction, perplexity, or bewilderment. Bewilderment. Okay? So confusion, when we're confused, what we're saying is, I don't have any clarity. Um, I don't, I don't, I, I'm not able to think distinctly about this situation. I, I, it's become so perplexed to me, and I, it's just overwhelming and bewildering. To me, that's what confusion is. Now, just make a note of this verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 33. 1 Corinthians 14, 33 says this, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. God is never the author of confusion. So that being said, when God is involved, there will be clarity, there will be distinction, and there will not be perplexity and bewilderment, okay? Now, God, when God ministers to us and he brings revelation into our lives, the thing that you have to understand is he's always going to require faith. That's why he doesn't reveal everything to you from A to Z, but he always gives you enough revelation or enough information so you can take a step or two in order to follow his direction. So if you're dealing with a problem, dealing with a situation in your life, and you you decide, okay, I'm not going to worry about this. I'm going to seek God's solution. Okay, now he may not play out the full scenario for you, but I tell you what he will do is he'll give you the first step to take so that you can obey and take that in faith. And then as you do that, you'll begin to minister more to you. Okay? All right. So to overcome worry, I'm, I'm just going to be upfront with you, okay, is going to take some W-O-R-K. All right? To overcome worry is, is going to take some W-O-R-K, work effort, consistent effort on your part, all right? And and so just count the cost. Know that going in. And I don't ever, you know, try and uh, paint the scenario where, you know, it's just everything's going to be easy, okay? Because sometimes spiritual things are difficult, and it takes work, and it takes effort. But the reward is so awesome when we finally win, okay? So to overcome worry, there will be some striving and some effort, but here's the good news. Just like with any other sin, you are able to overcome that, okay? Just like with anything else. So how do we stop worry? How do we overcome it? Well, I'm glad you asked. Tune in next week and I'll tell you. No, I'm just kidding. What? (laughs) <laughs> just kidding go over with me to luke chapter 10 please luke chapter 10 
and let's begin this. I don't know if I'm going to get through with this part, but we'll, we'll, we'll keep plugging on. Luke chapter 10, and look at verse 38. Very familiar story. Let's look at how Jesus um, interacted with somebody who was caught up in worry. Luke chapter 10 and verse 38. It says this, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. Now, we know later on this is Lazarus's sisters, okay? Of course, we know Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, so this is Mary and Martha, Lazarus's sisters. And it says that, and, and Martha had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. Jesus, verse 41, answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Now notice, pay attention to the details. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. All she, all she did was brought up the fact that she needed some help in the kitchen. No, but Jesus noticed his response. Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things. Let me help you with something, okay? If, if worry is prevalent in one area, I would venture to say worry is prevalent in all areas. That's why Jesus could say you're worried and troubled about many things, okay? So, Martha, Martha, you're worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which shall not be taken from her. So, let's get the scenario. Martha is running around trying to cook for everybody, trying to you know, put this big spread together and, and, uh, you know, just going, she, she just working herself up into a frenzy and her sister, Mary is not concerned about any of that stuff and is seated in the room at Jesus feet and is listening to him teach the word of God. Okay. So, you know, little side note here, you can never substitute hearing and receiving the word of God for service. Okay, they're, they're two different things. They both have their purpose, all right, but you can't substitute one for the other, all right? Martha was trying to impress the Lord with her service. It didn't work, okay? L listen, your service is, is only an outward display of the word working in your life. See, there would have come a time later on if both of them had been sitting in there listening to Jesus teach the word, that I'm, Jesus was not so self-absorbed that he was going to preach for three weeks and not let anybody take a break, not let anybody do anything. No, there would have come a time when Jesus would have let them, Mary and Martha, be able to do what they wanted to do and serve and minister to the people. But notice what he said. One thing is needed, okay? And Mary has chosen that one thing. So here's the first step to get rid of worry. Number one is apply yourself to hear the word of God. Let's look at the contrast. Who was worried and who was it? Martha was the one that was worried and fretting and anxious. And, and so much so, by the way, worry will send you down the path of, of a pity party. Because notice what happened. Martha was feeling sorry for herself. Lord, don't you, doesn't it? It, doesn't it matter to you that I'm in here having to do all the work and there's Mary, she left me alone to do all the work. In other words, I feel so sorry for myself, Jesus. Don't you feel sorry for me too? Okay, that's what worry will do. Worry will take you down the path where your woe is me. I'm the only one that's experiencing this problem. I'm the only one that's going through this. Okay, so if you want to conquer worry, then the very per first place you need to go to is the Word of God. 
Now, I'm going to give you a deep revelation. Are you ready? Everybody ready for a deep revelation? Okay. Yes. If you don't get anything else, I say, get this. Worry is a deeper manifestation, or excuse me, is a manifestation of a deeper problem. Worry is a manifestation of a deeper problem, and that problem is fear. Worry is a manifestation of a deeper problem, and that problem is fear. Now, I'm going to be very, very blunt and very plain, okay? And, and you can just keep your head down and pretend like you're writing. You don't have to say amen or oh me or anything. Just, you know, just take it in, all right? The reason that we worry, listen to me carefully, the reason that we worry is because we are afraid that God will not come through for us. I'm going to say that again. The reason we worry is because we fear that God will not come through for us. We fear that this is the time that God's going to fail us. This is the time that God's word is going to is not going to work. This is the time when I won't be healed. This is the time when God's going to let me down and I won't be able to take care of that need. And so what happens is fear comes in. And so fear is what leads the way to worry. And they're, they're cousins. They're related directly to each other. You can't have one without the other. So what, how do we address worry? Okay. Well, you're going to have to address the root of the worry. And that number one thing is fear. You're going to have to address the fear. Okay. We'll talk more about that in just a second. But um, just understand, fear is at the root of that worry. And if we're really honest with ourselves, the reason that we get afraid is because we're afraid that God's not going to help us, that God's not going to come through this time. So, so I better have a plan B. Let me tell you something. Faith is not having a plan B. Faith is either God's going to do it or that's it, okay? All right, I don't have a plan B. In other words, I'm not going to try and help God out. Listen, God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to have a little break glass in case of emergency thing over here. So in case he doesn't show up, we can break that and we've got the solution. No, listen, faith is... Now, I'm not saying put yourself in foolish uh, positions, but faith is when you put yourself out there and either God comes through or, or it's over. Okay. All right. Now, go over with me to Philippians chapter four, please. I've got three minutes. Philippians chapter four. Look at verse six. Now, I'm going to read these four verses out of the Amplified Bible. And uh, again, Paul gives us some little further insight into this. Philippians 4, 6 through 8. I'm going to read it to you from the Amplified. The Amplified Bible says this. Again, this is another one of those mic drop moments. Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and petition, definite requests, specific requests with thanksgiving, Continue to make your wants known to God. And God's peace shall be yours, that tranquil state of a soul assured of its salvation through Christ. And so fearing nothing from God and being content with its earthly lot of whatever sort that is, that peace which transcends all understanding shall garrison and mount guard over your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. For the rest, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of reverence and is honorable and seemly, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely and lovable, whatever is kind and winsome and gracious, if there's any virtue and excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think on and weigh and take account of these things and fix 
your minds on them. Now, Paul gave us a mouthful in all of that, okay? But notice what he said. First of all, he said, don't fret or have any anxiety in anything, but in every circumstance and in everything by prayer and specific request. So here's the next thing that you're going to have to do is you're going to have to pray about those things that you're tempted to worry about. Pray about them. Bring them to the Lord, okay? Bring them before him and be specific. I like to amplify it. It says with definite requests. You know, now, uh, you know, I've said this to you before, but what I encourage you to do is if you have a specific need, then be specific in your request to the Lord. Don't go to the Lord if you know you need um, XYZ number of dollars to take care of a bill or take care of a need or whatever the case might be. Go to the Lord and don't just say, God, I believe you to meet my needs. That's great. All right. But he doesn't mind you being specific. Father, by the end of this month, I need an extra $200 or $159.66, whatever it is. Be specific. God doesn't mind you being specific. He's not going to fall off the throne because you give him a dollar amount. He's not going to fall off the throne because you come to him with a physical need that you have. It, none of that moves him. Okay. All right. So pray about that. And then notice what he says. He says, make those requests with thanksgiving. You know, I uh, have said this illustration often, and uh, it goes back years when I heard it, but you know, the old school scales that had the two things that, you know, the cups that you would put stuff in and, and cause the scale to be uh, equal. You know, if your scale is like this, where requests are concerned and the Thanksgiving side has no weight to it, you need to bring some balance to that. Matter of fact, let your Thanksgiving side exceed the request side. In other words, let your praise and thanksgiving exceed your requests, okay? A, a life of thanksgiving and praise will defend against worry. That's number three. A life of thanksgiving and praise will defend against worry. Let me just make a note of this verse because I've got to stop. But Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4. Listen to the Passion Translation. The psalmist said this, But in the day that I'm afraid, I will lay all my fears before you and trust in you with all my heart. What harm could a, a man bring to me? With God on my side, I will not be afraid of what comes. The, roar, the roaring praises of God fill my heart and I will always triumph as I trust his promises. So notice what the psalmist said. His praise is connected to the level of his trust. His praise is connected to the level of, of the fear going down. The praise, you know, the old saying that when the praises go up, the power comes down. Well, just, you know, picture it this way. When your praises, the praise level in your life, the thanksgiving level in your life, goes up, the fear level is going to come down. Because you can't be afraid at the same time that you're praising God for the answer. The two don't mix. It's like oil and water, okay? And so you're going to have one or you're going to have the other. Psalm 34 and verse 1, Psalm 34 and verse 1 says this, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. I think a lot of times that we uh, encounter worry is because we're not busy praising and thanking God. And uh, let me tell you something. When you have an extended period of time to think, there's going to be an opportunity for worry. So take advantage of those times. And so, you know, this is part of the work that I was talking about earlier. 
Because, uh, you know, I don't know about you, but I've had those times where I've had worry wake me up in the middle of the night before. What are you going to do mm-hmm. about this? What are you, how are you going to handle this situation? I mean, just thoughts coming at your mind like machine gun bullets. And uh, the only thing that I can tell you that is going to defeat that is for you to put the word of God in your mouth and open your mouth and begin to praise God in the middle of that. And that will shut those thoughts of worry down. Now, here's what will happen, okay? You you, you know, you're dealing with that. Those thoughts are coming. You take a few moments and you begin, Father, I thank you that the answer is mine. I thank you that the Holy Spirit brings me the solution and so forth and so on. And you're praising God. Those thoughts of worry die down. But what happens the moment that you stop? Well, you know, pretty soon, here come those thoughts again. You're going to have to out-persist those thoughts of worry. Somebody says, "Well, well, what if it keeps me up some at night? Well, which would you rather be up at night doing, worrying about how you're going to fail or praising God because he's given you the answer? Okay, if I'm going to lose sleep, I'm going to lose sleep praising God. I'm going to lose sleep in Thanksgiving. Okay. All right. I got to stop right there. Praise God. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.